Hey, welcome. Thank you for braving the weather. I was actually going to make a joke about how little it snowed and how crazy people get, but it sounds like it's getting pretty icy out there, so no jokes. Uh, please, please be careful uh, when you're driving home. It, it's starting to rain now and, and ice up a little bit, so hopefully we're hoping the city will put some stuff down on the roads and, and help, help everybody get home safe. So this morning I'm going to attempt... Hey, people are over here now. I forgot about that. I'm going to attempt to do something that's never been done in 2016, and that is to preach an inspiring and a motivating message with the topic of suffering. <laughs> Doesn't that sound thrilling? Before you, before you uh, write me off, um, I, I do believe that there are some, some good things that can come out of, of trials and suffering. Um, I, I think that hope and redemption often comes, comes through that. So that's what I'm going to try to draw out this morning for you. We'll probably keep it a little bit shorter just so we can, we can get out of here. I'll, I'll try, to, try to be quick. So let's, uh, let's do this. Last week, uh, Brian talked about suffering. He started, he, started, uh, he started this topic. I blame him. Uh, and he talked about, he looked backwards. He was looking at 2015, and he was looking at uh, kind of the sad year we've had at our church. Um, there's been a ton of stuff that's gone down this last year from uh, divorces that have, that have uh, been finalized, um, marriage difficulties, loss of, of loved ones, um, parenting issues, infertility issues. Uh, there's been a lot of sadness, man. It's been a real bummer of a year. And so Brian talked, talked about suffering of last year and how we can endure through that was kind of a message of healing. Through that, he, he talked um, through Romans 8 uh, and reminded us that it, as bad as the suffering was uh, for some of us last year, uh, and, and some of it I can't even relate to. It's, it's worse than anything I've experienced. It still pales in comparison to the hope and to the joy that comes from knowing the lengths God has gone to to end suffering. Okay, and what I mean by that is the lengths God has gone to is, is sending his own son to suffer and to die on our behalf so that one day suffering will end. So that's what, so that's what Brian talked about that was looking backwards. I want to, I don't know what Brian's title of his message was, but let's just call it saved from suffering or saved in the midst of suffering or something. Um, so that's point one, what Brian talked about last week, and I just, I just summarized. What I want to talk about is, is looking forward into 2016. I got two points for us. It's saved through suffering and saved to suffering. Saved from suffering is what Brian talked about. Saved through suffering and saved to suffering. So let's open the, let's open the Bible, shall we? And read 1 Peter 1, chapter 6. Um, I'm sorry, chapter 1, verse 6. Thank you, whoever just whispered that. 6 and 7 is where I'm, is where I'm going to start here. In this you rejoice. And he's alluding to the paragraph ahead of that, which is essentially just talking about the hope we have in the gospel, right? And the salvation that comes from that. Uh, in, in the gospel we rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, 
may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So what's Peter saying here? Uh, Peter, uh, Peter's saying, contrary to popular belief, which is that uh, maybe there is no benefit to suffering, that it just is for our destruction, um, Peter's saying there is some benefit. There is some, some, some gain to be had. There is some value uh, in suffering. Let me just say it real quick. Before I go any further, I just want to make sure that the people that are currently dealing with some tragic situations and, and going through suffering, I just want to say some of this can sound harsh, probably, if you're, if you're in the midst of this. And I, I met with a buddy of mine last night, and I was like, hey, uh, he had just gone through probably the worst year of his life. He lost a, he lost a, little, a little boy. And I was like, how can I communicate this without being harsh you know, and without, you know, without being insensitive uh, to this topic. And, and he and I talked, and uh, ultimately what I got out of that conversation was a, a bunch of stuff, but he was saying, hey, uh, avoid talking about moving on. Uh, moving on feels like you're rushing, you're rushing someone through a process that can take a long, a long time. So uh, let me just be clear that I'm not saying, I don't have a timetable and, and, you know, we're not saying, okay, now it's a new year, time to move on, right? Some people need to heal. Some people need to go back and listen to, the, to Brian's message and, and heal from that. And, and some of us are ready to, uh, to take the next step. But I, I just wanted to say, if it's harsh, I'm sorry, that's not my intent. I'm, I'm praying and I'm hoping that, that this doesn't come out harsh. So back to it. Peter says, or Peter's telling us that there is some benefit and there is some value to trials and suffering. And, and I read up on uh, Matthew Henry, I think, was the commentary I was, I was looking through. Uh, and he says, suffering is not God's design for our destruction or for our ruin, but it actually is for our advantage and for our gain, which is a, a bit of a mind-bender, probably, especially for people outside the church. Um, but, but Testing and, or excuse me, trials and suffering are a test God uses to prove the value and the strength of someone's faith. So, the way I was thinking about this is, uh, oh, excuse me, let me get back to Peter. Peter compares faith to gold in this passage, right? So he, so he looks at these two things uh, and he compares the two. Gold is, you know, one of the most precious, most valuable metals in the world, if not the most valuable. Uh, and faith is just about the most valuable thing. I mean, it is the most valuable thing to a Christian. Without faith, we're, we're completely lost. And when gold goes through the testing process or goes through the fire, something interesting happens. Gold is reduced. Uh, I just watched a, a Gold Rush episode the other day uh, that probably most of us are familiar with, but... Um, it's a show about gold miners uh, up in the Yukon, I think. And one of them took their pile of gold flakes in to have it melted down into, into bars of gold because he was going to cash it in. And when they melted the gold bars down, uh, they came out kind of with black stuff all over them. And so they had to sit there and hammer. I think they were hammering these, these bricks to try to get the carbon or whatever was, was on them and, and to... Um, Eliminate that so it would just be pure gold. And that was the impurities that was in the gold that was being burned off. So the gold bricks that this guy had, that Parker had, uh, were less than what he started with. He had this pile of gold that came in, and, and the bricks that he walked out with weighed a little bit less. So the, the fire actually reduced 
the amount of gold he had. I mean, not really, I guess. You just reduced the, the impurities, but it probably felt like he got reduced. Faith, on the other hand, when faith is uh, tested by fire, which is the metaphor for trials and for suffering, uh, something different happens. We do have impurities or probably false hopes that get knocked down, but faith doesn't get reduced through that process. Faith gets established, faith gets strengthened, and faith grows through this process. It, it's kind of wild. I'm, I mean, it's uh, an interesting concept that, that, that that's how our faith grows is through these trials. So I was thinking about how this, how this might look like, and I was thinking about the idea of, um, of rock bottom, right? Somebody goes or hits rock bottom, it's usually because something that they held precious to them, something good, probably didn't have to be something bad, but, you know, a business or a job or a relationship or family or something, uh, something is lost, and someone's devastated by that, right? It devastates them, and they hit, you know, the proverbial rock bottom, and they start looking for answers, and, and sometimes that leads to the Bible, and sometimes that leads to, leads to them coming to church, and they're asking the big questions. Who is God? Why would he do this? What, you know, who, what is faith? And is, there, is this hope real? And sometimes faith is established through that process. Hitting rock bottom, I mean, it's not a, that's not a, an abstract you know, reality. That's real. And, and some of my own story is hitting a rock bottom and saying, all right, I got to find a durable hope, a hope that will, um, a hope that will last through, through suffering and through, through some of this. So rock bottom is an example of uh, you know, a, a trial, a suffering that, that establishes faith. Something else I was thinking about was um, Holly and I were, were, my wife Holly and I were, were looking at some honeymoon pictures the other day, and I was flipping through them, and I'm like, who are these people looking at us? Like, I, I don't even recognize them. Like, this is, these people are incredible. <laughs> they, they look like they're so happy, and they're having so much fun. <laughs> They look so well-rested. <laughs> I feel like we've aged like a thousand years since 2009 in Holly. Not, not me, not you, Holly. Not Holly, of course. No, just, just me. I was just, looking, I was just looking at me. <laughs> I was terrible. I will suffer now. <laughs> this is fitting. So, uh, on a serious note, I remember on our honeymoon sitting on our balcony of, of, the, of the hotel room, and we're not even a week into marriage, and Holly and I have, have some issues that we're dealing with. And I remember we open up to Romans 5, chap, uh, chapter 5, verse 3 through 5. I remember reading this. Like, this verse is now stuck in my head. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, Character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Like, if I could just tell you guys, I was praying through this verse. I was, I was uh, talking to God. Holly and I were both going through this, going, we need this hope to be real. I, I, I want this hope to be something that gets us through. I need it to get us through. We're off to a rocky start, like less than a week into our, into our marriage. And, and we've got issues, largely my own, my own baggage that, that I brought into the, into the marriage. And I can look back now a couple years later and, and kind of the dust has settled, at least on that issue. And I can look back and I can think, 
and I can see that it worked. Like my, I, I was clinging to this hope, and I was like desperate for this hope to, to get us through this time period, and it worked. I, I mean, like I almost can't believe it that, that it worked. And so my grip tightens a little bit on this hope and on my faith and on this, this whole reality. My hope in, in the gospel now is, is that I have a little bit more confidence in it. And the next time Holly and I have issues, I'm going right back to it, man. Maybe not this verse, but another one that applies. And we're going we're gonna to make sure the gospel is what we're clinging to. So that's an example of, of my faith and, and Holly's faith that has grown through some of the trials in our own life. So that leads me to the next step, right? If we're saved through suffering and our faith grows, that leads us to something. It leads us to action. It leads us not just to be saved through suffering, but typically we're saved to something. Like there's some action involved that, that, that we now need to do. Um, and so my, my next point or my last point was saved to suffering. And I have another story that I want to tell you that, um, that helps illustrate suffering that turns into action. Okay. Uh, I just read a book, uh, David, no, I'm sorry, Malcolm Gladwell's book, uh, David and Goliath. I don't know if any of you have read, read any of his stuff. Uh, but he's a pretty, pretty interesting guy. wrote Tipping Point and uh, Outliers, uh, and David and Goliath is pretty good. And he's essentially studying the underdog, which I love. I love that stuff. Um, and he's got all kinds of cool ideas that he's drawing from this. One section is called Desirable Difficulties. And the reason he, he, he titled that is because he was looking at some successful CEOs that had some challenges, like dyslexia, like uh, learning disabilities, and saying that the disabilities in some of these guys' life, I think the CEO of Goldman Sachs, a, a huge investment bank, um, the dyslexia actually helped him and maybe, uh, maybe was the reason that this guy was successful. What he lacked in some areas, he, he actually made up for in some other areas and worked real hard because of this, because of this, uh, this difficulty that he had. So he talks about another section and another story um, about a guy that's very familiar with suffering, a guy that, that had to deal with suffering uh, for, uh, for a long time. And his name was Fred Shuttlesworth. Fred Shuttlesworth was a black Baptist preacher in the 1950s. Uh, I think we actually snagged a picture of him. There he is. So he was, a, he was a preacher in Birmingham, Alabama, which is nicknamed back then Bombingham, Alabama, because they would bomb the houses of the African-American families that Ku Klux Klan would. It's a nasty place. Sounds like that was, like that was the worst of the racism and, and the prejudice and the oppression, and, and, and he, knew, he knew firsthand. So he suffered through, through all of this. And one day he told his congregation, and he told his, uh, the community, I guess, said, Christmas morning, 1956, I'm going to ride the white-only bus in protest. Okay, and he's just, he's ready. He's, he's involved in the civil rights movement, and this is, this is how he wants to protest. So he goes, uh, he tells his people that, and then Christmas Eve, the night before, what happens? His house gets bombed. The Ku Klux Klan go and level his house. Like, like I guess, flattened. Like there was, there was nothing left. And the, and the neighbors and everybody's gathering around and, and they're checking out uh, the situation. And people are hysterical. And uh, this has really no, doesn't help the story. But he, I guess he says from the, from the rubble, I'm not coming out naked. Somebody bring me a jacket or something. 
And so somebody throws him a jacket, and he comes out, and I guess he raises his hand, and he says, it's a miracle. I can't believe it. But the Lord God has spared my life. And people are just in dismay. I just want to take a second. Like, just to say that, as a, as a black Baptist preacher in Birmingham, Alabama, after everything you've been through, and then your house just got leveled, like, just to be able to say that, that you're not mad at God, that you're, you're thanking God for, for just sparing your life, that's incredible. That's just an incredible, an incredible realization to me that, that, you, that he would say that and that he would be thinking that. So clearly his faith is strong. And I guess there was a cop standing there who was in tears, a, a white cop, and he said, Preacher, I, I know these guys. I, I, didn't think they were, I didn't think they were capable of doing stuff like this. you got to get out of town. And he, and he responds to the guy and says, if God spared my life through this situation, I am here for the duration of this fight. There is no way I'm leaving town. And so he goes to his congregation and he gathers, gathers everybody around and people are telling him, urging him, call off the protest. It's too dangerous. Don't do it. And he, and he has some words for them too. He says, heck yeah, we're still going to protest. You crawl in whatever crack you want to. You hide wherever you can. But I'm riding that bus, and I'm not looking back to see who's following me. Boys, step back. Men, step forward, is what he says. Like, just like, dang. Like, what, what an incredible, what an incredible guy. And what I want to draw out from that story is the suffering that he went through. I mean, everything that this guy li- lived through... Uh, not only, the Ku Klux Klan was trying to dissuade this guy from, from fighting. And what ended up happening was the opposite. The, the suffering that he went to strengthened his, his faith, strengthened his courage, and, and strengthened his resolve. And not only did he ride the bus, but then a couple of months later, he goes, he tries to integrate his daughter into a, a white-only school in protest. There's an angry mob out front. He gets out of the car, and he gets beat senseless. I mean, they got his jacket up over his head. They had brass knuckles and chains and, and all this stuff. Um, he crawls back into the car, gets himself to the hospital. So another, another example of him suffering. And does that dissuade him, right? Does, that, does, does he say, okay, that's enough. I've, I've had enough. No, of course not. He, there's a third incident where he goes and he meets with Martin Luther King in Montgomery, Alabama, takes a, a colleague with him. Uh, they go to meet King, and of course, there's a mob out front of First Baptist of Montgomery, Alabama. They try to go in the front. The, the mob block, blocks them, so they drive around back. The mob's in the back. And what does he do? Like, don't get out of the car. Don't get out of the car. He gets out of the car, and he grabs his colleague, who I guess was just scared out of his mind, and I guess he just walks through the mob and says, get out of my way. Get out of my way. Move on. And he goes and meets with Martin Luther King. And apparently that meeting, or, or at some point, one of those meetings resulted in Martin Luther King bringing the civil rights movement to Birmingham, Alabama. And in Birmingham is where the tide turned for the civil rights movement against the segregationists and, and ultimately resulting in victory uh, of that civil rights movement. Pretty, pretty incredible story, man. I read that. I was like, God, that's a, I'm trying to find a way to get this into this sermon. <laughs> Hopefully it applies. Um, but j- just an incredible guy. But w- what I was trying to get out of that is, is his, his faith was strengthened through the suffering, which is crazy that it, that it would be. But not only did it get strengthened so that he could just feel good about himself, but it resulted in his action. Right? And he went and he, and he continued the fight. Now, we don't have a, a civil rights 
movement going out right now, but one of our battles as Christians in 2016 is to pursue suffering, to weep with those people that are weeping. This is the idea of saved, being saved to suffering, engaging in the suffering of people around us. Let me grab another verse here and read First uh, Peter chapter 1, verse 13. So a few, a few verses down. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Let me, before I finish that, let me just take this. Therefore, preparing your minds for action. So we know in 2016, we need to act, right? There's stuff happening, and we need to be motivated, and we need to take our faith and do something with it, okay? So we're preparing our minds for action. Being sober-minded, we've got to be thinking clearly about what is coming in 2016. I hate to break it to you guys, but 2015 was not a fluke, right? The suffering that we saw last year and the years prior here in the church, but everywhere, right? Terrorism and shootings and and whatnot, it's not a one-off. We've got more suffering coming. It's a broken world, and that's just the reality of it. We can pray against it, and we should pray that that suffering is reduced uh, as much as possible, but the reality is we're, we're going to have more suffering. So, so let's be sober-minded, let's be thinking clearly, and then set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you with the revelation of Jesus Christ. So we've got to set our sights back on the durable hope, the, the true hope, the hope that, that will not put us to shame, the hope of the gospel and everything that that, that, that represents. Let me read 14. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. So I think that the next step here is to think about the past and think about our former ignorance, even last year. And I, I could preach a whole sermon probably on uh, our former ignorance, my former ignorance. Um, but, but there's things last year probably where we caused suffering in people's lives. Or maybe we reacted poorly to, to some of the suffering in our own life. We need to be thinking about those things and learn from those mistakes. We can't be creating suffering for people in our lives. We've got to be reducing suffering. So, so that, is, that is incredibly important to be thinking about that. And, and we will never be perfect. But listen, the stuff that we already screwed up, we don't have to do that again. <laughs> Let's learn from that and, uh, and move on. And then finally, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. So here's our New Year's resolution. Let's be holy like God. How, how does that sound for an achievable and realistic uh, New Year's resolution? I almost was trying to find another verse here because I was like, I don't, how do I even explain holiness? How do I? I'm not a theologian, okay? Uh, so I read up on it. Let me do my best. I'm going to try to go from holy to pursuing suffering, which... We'll see, we'll see how I do. Holiness apparently is, is being set apart. The definition is to being set apart from evil, right? And, and God is holy. It, uh, holy is the only thing that is the word that is used to describe God three times in a row. And we just sang this song, uh, which is kind of crazy. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. It, God is never love, 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 or mercy, 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 uh, which sounds kind of like Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. Let I say it. Uh, but holy, holy, holy is, is how God is described. And he's like, 
so above, so, so uh, set apart from us. It's insane, and it's hard for me to even wrap my head around the concept, to be honest with you. But as I'm reading through it, I'm reading, you know, who else is holy? Uh, how about Jesus, right? He's a little bit easier for me to, to kind of wrap my head around. He was a man and God. So, so Jesus was holy in, in that he was set apart. He was completely set apart from evil, perfectly pure, perfectly obedient to his Father, God in heaven, and obedient to the cross, meaning he pursued suffering for the benefit of others to the detriment of himself. So if we are to be holy, like Jesus is holy, I'm hoping one of the ways that we can be holy is by pursuing suffering and helping people through their own suffering. So one of the ways that we can do that um, is by thinking through some of the areas that we've suffered, some of the challenges that we've gone through, whether that be marriage difficulties, um, death, divorce, infertility, all the things that we've struggled with, find out where our faith has been tested and grown, and then that is like a perfect place for, for you to be serving. You become a great resource in that area when you've gone through a situation like that. Uh, I, I can think of a couple people this last year that came out of the woodwork that, that did that. I mean, they helped support some of the folks that were suffering through the worst of it this year. It was awesome to see that. But let me just say that you don't have to suffer or you don't have to be going through the exact same situation for you to be helpful. Um, there's also opportunities for you just to, to be there for people and try to relate to them as best you can. Uh, example of this is we go to Hillcrest. Occasionally, which is the, the boys' prison up the road. And we went there a couple of weeks ago. Had a fantastic time. There was 13 of us that went. I think it was probably the best time we've gone uh, just because the, the, the conversation was loud. It was, it was fun. We were interacting with the guys. The guys, were, the guys were great. They were between the ages of 16 and, we'll say, 20, I think. I think 21 was the oldest. I can't relate perfectly with those guys. I, I don't, they grew up in a, in a completely different way than I did. And, and their stories are so stinking sad. It is the definition of brokenness, man, when we, when we meet with them. I, I hear those stories, and, and man, I got I to gotta hold back tears because they're so bad. But just us being there is a help. Us suffering with them, uh, taking time out of our day and, and, and just listening to them, caring about them is helpful. Helping to, to bring a little bit of a normalcy to their, their crazy life. They were, they were locked up during Christmas. So in, in, that, in that way, we can't really relate with them, but we're doing our best and we're trying to show up. So even though it's not a perfect match, we can still, we can still help people that are going through, going through some tough times. And this is our, this is our duty. This is our business. This is, this is our calling as Christians to, uh, to pursue this suffering. And this is, this is what we do as a church. We come together. We create relationships with each other. We, we, we find out, typically in, in the community groups that we just mentioned earlier, we, we get to know each other. We find out, find out our hopes and our fears. We find out when people are suffering. And then we earn the right because we have a relationship to, per, to pursue the suffering with those people uh, emotionally, maybe crying with them if, if they just need a shoulder to cry on. Um, you know, loving on them, whatever that looks like, spending time with them, maybe financially, 
uh, helping them out if that's their if that's their issue if that's the if that's the suffering that they uh, that they're going through. Uh, ultimately, the 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 way that we can help people is to is to stand with them in the rubble of their life and to help raise their hand right in the midst of their suffering and to tell them that a Christian always has something to rejoice in. We always have hope, and that hope is Jesus. Okay. It, And he promises us, Jesus promises us that if we cling to him and if we cling to to the gospel and the hope of the gospel in the midst of our suffering, that will not put us to shame. And it will do more than just get us through the suffering. It will grow our faith and it will tighten our grip on the hope. And that promise uh, that he makes us is signed and sealed uh, by his own blood and by his own, his own suffering. Uh, and, and he pursued that suffering not only for our encouragement, but also that we would then go and pursue suffering uh, of other people uh, in our lives. And that's, uh, that's my hope for 2016, guys, is for, for me, for, for us, for our church, that we would just be a, a, an army that would, that would run to the suffering of the people that are going to be struggling uh, it, this year uh, in our church, but also I don't want to forget about the people outside the church, man. Those people are suffering. We want to find it. We want to, we want to help them. Uh, so that's my, that's my goal. Let's, let's pray. Jesus, uh, we thank you. Uh, we thank you for, uh, for the story of the gospel. And it all hinges on the death, or excuse me, the life, the death, the resurrection um, of you, and the, and the hope and the salvation that that brings, that one day our, our suffering will end. Um, I just want to pray for the people that are, are struggling right now, the people that need uh, to heal. Uh, I, I pray that they, I don't know, that they wouldn't, that they wouldn't feel rushed, that this, that this wouldn't uh, be harsh but that they would feel that they can heal. They got, they got time to heal and to work through this, um, work through the suffering that they're going through. I also pray uh, for, for those of us that needed to hear that there is some value in suffering. It's a crazy idea. It's a crazy concept. Um, but you tell us, and Peter tells us, uh, that there's value in this and that, and that the value, the most valuable part of this is that our faith will grow. It's, it's established, it's, it's strengthened, and it's grown um, through these trials. Uh, and lastly, I pray that um, through that and the encouragement that that would bring, that then we would be motivated, like Shuttlesworth was motivated to, to fight uh, for the duration of his cause. I, I pray that we would battle um, for the people that are suffering um, here in this church, uh, for people that are suffering uh, in our city. Uh, that, that, that we would pursue them and, and we would walk with them, we would weep with them, we would give to the, uh, to the cause if, if that's what they need, whatever that means, our time, our talent, our treasures. Um, we pray, uh, I, I just want to wrap up with praying for 2016. I pray that it would be an incredible year. I pray that the suffering would be the lowest that it's ever been and that we wouldn't have to deal with these things uh, or, or we'd have to do, deal with as few of these things as possible in this church. Um, I, I pray that it would be a, uh, a, an incredible year, much better than, than years past. Um, we pray this in your name. Amen.